award-winning, unofficial podcast on Prince. For over 10 years, giving you Prince news, reviews, trivia, and all things happening in the Prince world. Featuring the host, Rob S. I think the craziest thing that's happened is when Prince invited me and Captain to meet with him in New York in 2010. Captain. Anytime Prince gets on the guitar and he starts getting up near that top fret, just get ready to blow your head off. Player. Oh my God, that's the Minneapolis sound right there. Toe Jam. There's just layers and layers of stuff going on in his music all the time in every speaker. Find Peach and Black on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Hi, this is Eden Nelson. This is Tony Young. Hi, this is Larry Graham. This is Mr. Hayes. And you're listening to... And you're listening to... And you're listening to... And you're listening to... The Peach and Black Podcast. The Peach and Black Podcast. The Peach and Black Podcast. The Peach and Black Podcast, baby. Now over to our host, Rob S. Hello, 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 and welcome back to the Peach and Black podcast. And on this episode, we talk to Tamar. Before we get the show underway, it's the Peach and Black podcast panel. From left to right, as always, player. I am the storm. <laughs> Toe Jam. Episode number one too many. And <laughs> Captain... It's a milk and honey. Oh, you stole my line. Well, it's you not don't do a line to what be are you talking as well. About? No, I was going to do one. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm Rob S. In the place to be. And <laughs> player and captain had the privilege recently to catch up with the golden voice from the land of milk and honey. I was going to say, but captain beat me to it. We are, of course, talking about Ashley Davis, otherwise known as Tamar. And uh, yeah, Captain and Player got the opportunity to speak with Tamar and also Lake Minnetonka from Melbourneapolis. So uh, yeah. Who was Tamar's backing band? Take it away, Mr. Captain and Mr. Player. Yeah, earlier okay, this year thing. we spoke to Tamar. She was great. Captain and I saw her in concert. Um, her backing band was Lake Minnetonka. We're going to be speaking with them on this episode as well. And um, Tamar was just fantastic, Um, not only in performance, but when we actually met up with her, Opera Bar at the Opera House, um, she was really gracious with her time. She was like an old friend, hanging out with an old friend. Um, We sat down, we spoke to her, and um, you're about to hear it right now. Thank you for your time. No, you guys, thank you. (laughs) Welcome to Peach and Black Podcast. I guess our first question is uh, if you could tell our listeners a little bit about your background and growing up in Texas. Growing up in Texas was, to me, a typical childhood. I didn't realize that a lot of people didn't have my childhood, you know, growing up. But I am the oldest of two amazing brothers. Um, Now we have two two little girls and and a nephew, so I'm like an aunt now. But my parents are still together. My parents were very supportive of everything I did. I was, I had an imagination. I used pots and pans as like musical instruments. I pretended like I was a teacher. I loved to teach. I was actually a ballerina growing up. So um, my house was a typical, I'm the only musical person in my household, but they were always so supportive. So if I said I wanted to do something, they were supportive. I had typical summer parties. I went to the best of schools, had the best of education. And I mean, to me, it was a typical childhood. But once again, when I got in the real world is when I realized not everyone was blessed to have that opportunity. But my childhood was just 
fun. It was fun. I mean, my parents were there at every recital. They were there at every vocal this. or I mean, it, it, we were a very close-knit family. And to this day, like, we're still a close-knit family. So it was a great childhood. And uh, can you talk about your time with Girls Time? So my time with Girls Time, my memoir comes out next year. And I actually have a chapter from my mom and dad's perspective because it's, it's a little bit more in-depth than what I could talk about. I was too young to know what was going on behind the scenes. And you guys will get to know. Even in the book, my parents talk about what was really happening and why they had to take me out. And so looking back at it, it's probably the best decision they could have made for me because at that time I wasn't able to make those decisions. But we were typical girls. We had summer parties. We actually we took baths together when we were in crunch time for shows, when we would fly to California. Those were some of my first flights I'd ever taken in my life. Those were some of the first times I'd ever recorded professionally. I mean, we were typical girls. Like we were we played jokes on each other. We laughed with each other. We we never argued. We were typical girls. Um, I mean, it was like the height of girl life, you know? Um, it was the best learning experience. We rehearsed all the time. We got our hair done together. We got our makeup done together. I mean, it was typical life. But in the book, my parents do talk about what happened on the business side and why they had to take me out. And the book is really more so about the power of redemption and, and salvation because I didn't realize how much I was harboring bitterness with my parents because of that until my mom finally told me. And, and I actually have a chapter so that they can tell from a parent's perspective, because you know a lot of kids in this business who are starting on Disney and Nickelodeon and stuff, when they have their parents involved, a lot of kids don't know what's really happening behind the scenes. And so for the first time I'm sharing the parents' perspective, and it's, you know, it's nothing against anyone. It's not a tell-all book. It's not a gossip book. It's what really happened. So Girls' Time was the foundation of every single thing, from training my ear to harmonies to singing with other people to singing in a choir to preparing for a show to working out. Like, all of that started at Girls' Time. Beyonce and Kelly, you're all friends? So it was Beyonce, Kelly, and I, we were the lead singers. And then it was Nikki, Nina, and Latavia. Latavia was one of the girls who stayed, but Nikki and Nina were her cousins. Her real cousins, they're her real cousins. So it was a family unit. It started out, people don't know, it was like 12 of us in a group. 12 became six, and um, six became today what is three. Because, yeah, I didn't really know about that whole thing at all. And Play was telling me, like, it was a whole bunch of girls and they rotated. Yeah. It's crazy because, I, once again, I'm a typical girl who's just, like, having fun at 11, 12, and 13. You're not thinking of, especially in the 80s, it wasn't, business was not so stressful as it is now in the music business. It was fun. So back then it was like 11 or 12 of us and some of those girls I still stay in contact with. Judith Franklin, Anissa Martell, Aaron Stevenson. And we didn't even know we were in the same group until we're in school. And I'm like, why do you look so familiar? And we look at pictures and we're like, that's you. And I'm like, that's me. And I mean, Houston was just a great time in the 80s for talent. It just was. And to this day, I'm very still cool with every single one of those ladies. And, you know, you can't, you can't take that away from us. Kelly's here in Sydney at the moment. I know. She's doing the Australian The Voice. 
I know. Next time I gotta I gotta come and be a guest judge. <laughs> yeah, somehow we gotta make yeah, that happen. Make happen. I know I'm not like such a big, big name, but somehow if I could teach the vocal lessons, oh, like I would yeah. love to do that. Do it, do it. Yeah. Can you tell us the first time you met Prince and how that first interaction was? So I my first time working with Prince was 2005, but I was invited to Paisley Park Early. when I was, er, it was earlier. Was that through Morris Hayes? It was through Morris. So what happened was my cousin, Monica Miller, she had a crush on Morris. Uh. And she, <laughs> that's how they, that's how that's they, how they saw it. <laughs> and I mean, he's a handsome guy. What can you expect? Yeah. And, I mean, to this day, he still looks great. And so Monica passed my demo on to Morris and Morris took a liking to my vocals. He flew me and my mom out. One time we did some demos and long story short, he passed the demos on to Prince. So I flew to Minneapolis. If I could find those photos to save my life, I remember doing a photo shoot. I remember having lunch meetings. I remember being at Paisley. I remember getting a gift of the most beautiful girl in the world as like a package. I remember going to my first Prince concert. This is like 94. Yeah, this is like 93, 94. I remember my school gave me a pass to go and, you know, and um, I didn't meet him. I do remember recording, don't know why I didn't meet him. I may need to revisit why I didn't meet him, but I didn't meet him. And then in 2004, I started singing background for Tamia and Fatima Robinson, who, who's done choreography for everyone. She was the choreographer and I stayed in contact with her. And so a year later, she invites me to a video shoot. She doesn't say who it's for, but she wants me to come down. And it was Prince's video shoot. And so history was made. And, and is that a release video or is that an unreleased? It was, it's unreleased. You know, he was, he was so creative. Yeah, it's, it's in the vault. It's one of those vault videos. Yeah. But it was at the house that birthed 3121. Gotcha. Now that I would love to see, actually. Uh, everyone would love to see. I know. <laughs> yeah. So can you tell us about the Milk and Honey album and 3121 recording sessions? Can you expand a bit on how Prince works in the studio? So 3121 and Milk and Honey were not planned. Based on what he told me, they weren't planned. They just started recording. So what happened was we were the house band. It was Frank McComb on keys, Morris Hayes, Josh Dunham on, on bass, Cora was on drums, and it was me. And so I think he had just moved to L.A. because it was too, he yeah, hated yeah. Minneapolis. 31, yeah, cold. And he started doing house parties. So after every award show was a house party. And I remember the house parties were very small, and then all of a sudden they just grew. So the who's who would be there, from John Legend to Oprah to Jay Leno. And he didn't know what he was doing. And I really believe he didn't know. He just felt like he wanted to have these events at his house. And so long story short, one day I get a call and he's like, basically, can you come to Minneapolis? That's really how it started. And I said, okay. And I ended up going to Minneapolis. I probably went to Minneapolis every other week. Like literally had a luggage packed at the door, ready to go. And every time I went, we would just have great talks. We would study the Bible. We would go to the hall. I mean, it was really a family-friendly situation. And over time, every time I flew to L.A., he would just record. He, and he, he, he didn't know what he was recording. He was just recording yeah, the Word or Lolita. Or, and so in the midst of that was when he was like, do you want to record an album? And I said, yeah. And then Milk and Honey was birthed. So it was over like maybe a six, eight month span. And then from there, he was like, do you want a tour? And I mean, and it just became, it's hard to talk about it. 
but it became one of those things like it was never planned. And when we wrote Milk and Honey, he was like, you're such a muse to me. And I was like, what does that mean? He was like, look it up. And looking back, I didn't realize how much I was an inspiration to him as much as he was to me. And so that's what happened. And in the studio, he was just, Morris has to really tell you, and it's something I need to ask Morris, because Morris always says, I've never seen him like this. But with me, you know, I'm an 80s baby. I didn't know anything about anything pre my time with him. I didn't care to know about any of the relationships, any of the friendships, I didn't care. From Texas, we don't really treat people as stars, we treat them as family. So I think that's what he loved about me. He went to my brother's basketball tournament in San Diego. He was like the homie, like he wasn't Prince the mega star. Like we traveled together and just seeing how people looked at him, they didn't look at him as like, oh, they looked at him as like, hi, you know? Versus Michael Jackson was one of those like untouchables. Prince was one of those, and this is who he was, he didn't want the accolades. He wanted you to feel the music and he wanted you to feel the experience. So if I had to answer the question of how was he in the studio, he wasn't look at me, listen to me. He was, it exuded from his pores. He was just, he was just music. He was art. Must have been amazing to watch. It was amazing to watch. I mean, we would go to performances of other entertainers and he would bring them back to his house and show them how to redo their show so that it sounded better. That's who he was. He wasn't, hey, I'm Prince, come hang with me. It was like, hey, let me teach you something. And then I think he realized if you learned and if you wanted to learn, he was excited to teach. So that was, that's who he was. I think that might have been one thing that he liked about our podcast was that we didn't just get on there and review an album and say everything was great, everything was perfect. If there was something that we didn't like on a certain song, we'd say, I don't like this thing, and we'd say why, why we don't like it, because there are other people out there, you know, reporting things and reviewing things, and they just say everything's great, and that's that's fine, that's what they want to do. Well, you nailed it. You nailed it. I mean, when my first time seeing him out in public performing was NAACP, and I remembered when he had the room cleared out, but the people who were working, I noticed, that was my first time learning from him, and I noticed when he felt like people were like gawking over him, he didn't like it. But when you were just there, just to be there, because you knew you you were there for a job, I noticed his interaction was different. And so that's what it was, our entire duration up until the day, you know, he was gone. It was just like, I never treated him as like, oh, you're Prince. It was just like, you're human, just like me. You go to the bathroom, just like me. You know what I mean? You eat, just like me, you know, so. Like, I met him a couple of times. First was in 2000 and 2002, but like, big sit-down talk we had was in 2010 and me and Rob were there and because I'd already met him a couple times before I was just like talking like he's you know he's just a guy he's just a human and that's how you have to treat because at the end of the day we deal with so much we deal with you know what are they here for what do they want you know and you just want people to just be like just normal like how are you today do you have a headache what you know what I mean do you need some aspirin you know what I mean and it's just like and we just talked about everything like Rob was a bit you know, like starstruck maybe the first 10, 15 minutes, but then after that he was just like, you know, he's just a guy, he's sitting there talking. After that it was all good. Yeah. So that um, milk and honey thing, that was a bit, um, was it frustrating for you or is it? Oh no, milk and honey was a breeze. I mean like the fact that it, it didn't come out. Was oh yeah, I was, I was so, I mean, you know, as an artist, some people are used to being let down, but 
the upbringing that I had, I didn't really know letdowns and no's. I mean, I, I'd heard them, most but things gone well, yeah, most things had gone well. So, and, and so when that happened, I just was like, what happened? You know, I didn't feel honestly that Prince was being honest. Um, I know he didn't like the business. I know he didn't like, and I knew he protected me and everyone who works with me always protects me. And that's great. But at some point it's like, can I make the decision for myself? And so, um, and, and that's, I can't believe I even just said that, but that's the real reality of it. I mean, the record label's on one end and then he'll buzz in and then they're buzzing. And it was one of those things where it was just like, what do I do? And I think to a lot of independent artists, if I had to just encourage a lot of them, it's like, you have to follow your spirit, you know? Yeah. The loyalty was more so with Prince, although my heart was, I want the album to come out because we yeah. put so much time into it. It wasn't that I had no effort in the that yeah, darn exactly. album. You did the work. I did the work. So I was just kind of like, I give two craps. You can have it. I don't care. But, you know, um, and I just think God's timing is always just so impeccable. And at this point, I think the timing couldn't have been better. Because you have plans to bring it out, the songs out this year? Yeah, so they're going to be more so like singles plan. that I'm doing. So yeah. it's not so much focused on Prince. And I applaud everyone who keeps using his name. But yeah. the reality is, it's just like when someone sets up, like it's just like your teacher teaching you times tables. You're not going to keep talking about your teacher. <laughs> like, come on. So at this point, it's just like I, the least I can do, the most I can do is carry out the legacy by doing something with it. And so I'm already talking to schools. I created a book and a curriculum. It's like, I'm not trying to use Prince's coattail to make money. If I, if I was, I could have done that 13 years ago. So now it's like, let people really see who I am as an artist and then put that music on the B side. And, and that's the goal is to start putting out singles and then anything from Milk and Honey would go on the B side. Because I mean, before Prince, I was Ashley, you know? After working with him, he came and supported every single thing I did. So it'd be different if I just stayed in that shadow and didn't work with Tyler Perry or do Broadway. You know, nothing against anyone else, but a lot of those people still use his name and that's to each his own. But I, I can't do that. I would stifle God's gift if I kept just using Prince's name. So the plan is to definitely push the sound of who I am and then put that music on the B-side and do visuals. And I still have emails from him that I have not read. So, you know, it's, yeah, it's, we're trying to plan something. No, I haven't. I haven't read some of them. Wow. I was going to say, like, last night, like, I knew you could sing, but I, I didn't know you could sing. <laughs> like from doing, you know, there were sort of these poppy tracks and then redhead stepchild, more rock stuff, and then belting it out. And then you do some musical theater and, oh, it was crazy. Uh, and jazz stuff. I'm just sitting there looking at him like, what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Holy moly. And it's funny because I, I have to attribute that to Prince because I did Janis Joplin, I did Stay yes. With Me, I did um, Tina, Turner. Tina Turner with him, I did um, Aretha. Love Lo Aretha and Lo yeah. and Love Changes. Yeah. So yeah. he was the first person to really allow me to do that stuff. But you're right, the musical theater side. And when I found out I was coming here, I was like, oh, I have to do Sarah Vaughan, I have to do yeah. Celine yeah. Dion. I have, and it's sad because a lot of artists don't really know about Celine. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and Tina, and yeah. Tower of Power. So in a perfect world, I would love to bring all that stuff back and, yeah. and make it 
my own, you know? Do it. Can, oh, I am. Put the voice, you can I'm excited <laughs> to, yes, of course. Wow, so all of that, that set list, you put that all together? I put like, the whole thing together. And I have to applaud Neil because at first I had more cover tunes and Neil was like, no, you are not coming here and not doing more of your songs. Yeah. So when I retweaked the show, it had to have been God because when we performed it the first time in Melbourne, I fell in love with the order. Yeah. And usually yeah. how I hear the order, Prince kind of started this, like the tour we did, Tamar yeah. featuring Prince, yeah. he allowed me to construct that order. So sometimes I, if you come in my car, I play no music. Because that's where all my creatives start. It starts in the car, and I'll hear something, and I'll be like, da -da -da -da. so my phone has nothing but voice notes. So I can hear how, you know, it goes from river deep, mountain high, into, you know, Papa was the Rolling Stone, or you know what I mean? So, yeah, I'm, I'm honored that you guys got that show. And oh, yeah. it, it'll change, but yeah, that show just, it just worked for Australia. Yeah, yeah. yeah we're going to talk to Adam from Lake Minnetonka as well. Uh, we wanted to talk to them last night. They had an early flight this morning, so we're just like, oh, we'll do it later. But that band, oh, jeez. Yeah, they're amazing. If we even yeah. had more rehearsal time, I'm pretty sure it would have been yeah. rock star. Lake Minnetonka. Yep. So I was listening to their album and they've got like Dr. Fink and... Yeah, you know, yeah, 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 Sonny T, yeah, yeah. And I'm just like, oh man, it's great. Yeah. And that tour you did with Prince and he was your guitarist, how did that come about? Did he say, I'm going to be It was lover. literally every day was just kind of, what are you doing? Okay, come over, okay. And then we'll just be chilling, we'll have breakfast. Lena was our, his chef, I say our chef. Yeah. And then we would just be rehearsing. It we would just be in the ballroom. We would just literally be rehearsing. We had no idea it was going to be a tour. And then one day we just kept like putting some songs together. He was like, "Well, if we were to do a tour, how would you? What songs would you want to sing?" And do you think he always had that in the back of no, his mind? No, I don't think so. I think he and really he thought he was inspired up. by what we were doing naturally. Like we would just be there, just playing around. Like yeah. me and the twins would okay. just be dancing. We would create like the dances or we yeah, would yeah. do something. He's watching that. And I think he just got inspired. Yeah. And then one day he said, um, he said, do you want to see your dad? Cause my dad was not um, in LA and he flew my dad out. And he was like, I think we should do the show for your dad. And he was like, we should go on tour. And to this day, Prince, so Prince doesn't believe in Christmas. Yeah. And so he came to Sean's basketball tournament in San Diego and he had two boxes wrapped with bows and he gave them to me and there were the photos that he took of me and my dad on stage before we took the tour out. I don't think he knew we were going to do that tour. And so when people would come over like Mariah Carey, he was like, she's I'm playing her, I'm, I'm her guitar player. And I was like, stop telling people that. You're not my guitar player, you're Prince. He was like, every time they came in, he was like, this is Tamar, I'm her guitar player. I mean, you know, nice. it was just, yeah. it's just hard to know he's not here. It is. Yeah, that tour was such an interesting thing. I always got the feeling that he just liked being in a band. And yeah. yeah. Well, he said he that. He didn't always want to be the guy, you know, up front. He uh, said that. Anything. It's he so funny that back. you said that. He said that. He said, Tamar, I've always liked women your skin color. I always like women with your hair. I, like, he, you know, and at the time I was like, whatever. But he was like, I always wanted to just play guitar. Just be a band member. And that's the whole tour. He stayed stage right, yeah. and he played the whole time. And the next morning, he would call me, and he would have all the write-ups and the articles, and he'd be like, and one day he was like, I can't believe this. And I said, what? He was like, these people have no negative words about you. And yeah. I think that's what made him feel like. 
he was doing something worthwhile. Yeah. And I remember Apollonia came to our show in Miami and he was like, I'd never seen women gravitate to any woman I'd ever work with, you know? Yeah. And I think it was a shock to him yeah. because he was just doing what he normally does. Yeah. And then with me, I come along and I'm like, I'm very family oriented, you know what I mean? We never had a personal, like the, yeah. the relationships that he had had. Or the, really had yeah, and so, and I think when we came together, it was like a really brotherly, sisterly thing, you know? And, and you know, I'm from Texas, so I, I know how to say no. So if I'm going on tour with a man, I'm going to be like, can my mom come? And, yeah. and I think before that, he hadn't had anyone say, yeah. can I have, and I'm the opposite. I'm like, I, I don't know who you are. Yeah, you're a <laughs> prince, but yeah. I want my mom to come. Yeah. And so I had my own tour bus. It was just me, my mom, and my makeup artist. I mean, he just literally rolled out the red carpet. In the moment, did I think that? No. Yeah. It wasn't until later. I was just like, wow, that happened, you know? And I think he knew I wasn't there for the accolades and for the money and for the prestige. I was really like, let's go, where are we going? Yeah, yeah. You know? <laughs> it's like a friend's thing. That's what yeah. you want. And so um, you were saying there's a Broadway show that you're doing? So A Night with Janis Joplin is um, a Broadway show that just keeps me working. It's great. And I play Nina Simone, Aretha Franklin, and then I sing Summertime operatically in the show. I got nominated for that role, which was pretty awesome. And it goes out because Janice is a huge icon. Yeah. So it goes out in the fall, September through October, and it's only domestically. They were trying to get it in the West End in London, so hopefully it goes there. But So there's already been a season? Oh, yeah. I've done this since 2017. So it's on and off. Two months to, yeah. you know, off, two months on, yeah. Oh, that's good. And then, then you got breaks. Then you got breaks in between. Oh, it's it's amazing. I can do other things. Oh my gosh, yeah. No so complaints. Just the same thing oh my gosh, yes. Night, night after night. Which is okay for a while. Yeah, yeah. Um, what was it like performing on Saturday Night Live and uh, Good Morning America? So I'm not gonna lie. Saturday Night Live was not one of those shows I watched growing up. I mean, it was yeah. just like whatever. Yeah. Um, but when I was there, is when it hit me like, yo, we're at Saturday Night Live. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um. It happened all so fast because Good Morning America to me was the highlight, I guess, for me. But Saturday Night Live Live was cool. It was it was just I so like much more fun. Yeah, yeah, it was it was fun. Yeah, yeah. I didn't sleep, I didn't, you know, just nothing. Just Good Morning America was just by far the best. So I don't all know. Those people in the park and, all those yeah. people in the park. But once again, at the time I didn't know how big it was. I was just yeah, like, right. it's a performance, yeah. you know? But looking back and seeing Robin Roberts re you know, introduce yeah, yeah, me yeah. and you're just like, oh, that really happened. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, it was great. Yeah, I just watched that. Was it Bryant Park? Is that the one? Bryant Park. Yeah, I just watched that the other day, and so it's like fresh in my brain. It's great. Yeah, it's a great performance. Yeah. What's the biggest piece of advice that Prince gave you that you still use to this day? Ooh. Uh, ooh. I guess the biggest advice is to make sure my live shows are just always an experience because no matter what, whether album sells or not, you can always make money off of doing your live shows. And he was right, you know? Yeah. Album sales have changed so much. The numbers don't equate yeah. what you think they should. And, you know. Streaming where you get like yeah. two cents. And then the sad thing is a lot of people who are popular on streaming don't equate to live performances. You know, and so a lot of these shows are a lot of artists on one bill, yeah. but are people really listening? Yeah. Are they really being, yeah. enjoying an experience? No. So Prince 
that's the biggest advice he told me. And, and I love performing live. Like, yeah. that's why on my social media, you don't see a lot of me singing and selfies because I feel like that's so interpersonal. Yeah. I feel like that's so, in, you know, it's not as personal. So you were saying before that you are hanging out with Prince, like that sort of relationship, just kind of brother-sister thing. Do you have any stories like hanging out? Like a lot of people have the basketball stories. Do you have a thing that's memorable that I mean, uh, it's all in the book. I, okay. I'm still oh, trying yeah. to put notes aside to remember some stuff. Let me think of another one. Um, oh, you, you can save it for the book. No, no, no. There's <laughs> one. Well, so, so one time I just got in my new truck and we had just finished performing at the Roxy. Yeah. And I think he needed some toothpaste. I don't know what he needed. <laughs> and he was like, I'm riding with you. Like we had a car to come pick us up after the show. And he was yeah. like, I'll ride with you in your new truck. Yeah, yeah. And he, he would always just ride in my passenger seat. And we went yeah. to Rite Aid off of Beverly and La Cienega. Yeah. And we went into the Rite Aid. And once again, P Prince wasn't seen at Rite Aids yeah, and yeah, Walgreens, yeah. right? Yeah. But with me, he would go. Right. And it would be funny. People would see him and they'd be like, <laughs> they never took out a phone. They just was like, they just could not believe it. But he was that guy with me. He would come and hang out. And I'm just trying to think of something else that he would do. It was, it was a story Morris told where he went to the hardware store or something. He, I think he got a kick out of that kind of stuff, yeah, yeah. though. He turned up in just bizarre places. You wouldn't expect to see him there, yeah. Yeah, but he, he was that guy. He, um, when I got my first apartment, he came over and saw my apartment. And he was like, oh, you know, cool. And... Wow. He loved my, my mom and my dad, my brothers. For Houston, he for my hometown, yeah. he had not sang Purple Rain the whole tour. Uh, and so when we got to Houston, he said, I have a surprise for you. And he came out and did Purple Rain. And I think he hadn't done Purple Rain in like five years. Right. Well, so yeah, it was a big deal. Yeah. It was a big deal. Um, and then when we did a private after party afterwards and for my family and friends, he just came in there and hung out with all of us. I mean, he was that guy. It's hard to keep talking about him and not just yeah, like, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. What do you do to look after your voice? Because you're... Um, I don't do you talk do a lot, no. But I do have to have coffee before I sing. Okay. I have to have coffee. I have to have coffee. But other than that, no. Do I you just, like Australian coffee? I do like, a, it's very strong though. Strong, right? Yeah. But I do have to have coffee. I don't have like wine or anything before I drink, before I sing. Yeah. And before I sing, I just don't want anyone talking to me like 15, 20 minutes before. Right, like my right. phone goes off. But you other than that, yeah, yeah, I just, yeah. So what are your plans? You have a memoir coming up? So the memoir comes out next year, A Night with Janis Joplin. We're working on the single, getting some visuals with it. I'm constantly writing. My phone has nothing but new songs. I am recording a new snippet project, like a minute and 30 seconds. It has like jazz, opera, acapella. Yes. So I'm just giving away content as we lead up to the other stuff. The 100 Things to Know as an Independent Artist is out with the workbook and a curriculum for high schools. And yeah, but other than that, I mean, You're I'm enjoying busy. life. Yeah. I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then I do a lot with Kanye West, the um, choir that he put together. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I'm a part of that. Uh, is that the choir he's doing at Coachella? Yep. Right. Same. Okay. I was. Yeah, I yeah. did Coachella. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. This year. Yeah. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you just reminded me. I was going to ask you about what's your. You know, it's probably an impossible question and answer, but what's your favorite style of song to sing? Like, what's the most fun? I guess. You know, it's funny. I've what been thinking enjoy? about that. I like songs that tell a story. Yeah. So, like, when I do someone to watch over me, I love being. There's a saying old. 
there's this love is blind. Like, I love that it's not in tempo. I like recitative, operatic, where it's just telling a story. So um, I'm trying to think, like, kind words. Kind words is one of my favorites because it's like, I know you never heard the word. It's very conversational. And the rock songs are great, especially when people just want to get up and dance. But if I were to say in a perfect world what I would love to see myself five, ten years from now, I would love to be at opera houses where I'm doing orchestral music. And then I would love to be able to go across the city and do a rock song. Right, and do a jazz night. Like in a perfect world, to come back to Australia, do an opera night, a jazz night, a funk night. You know, and that's what I loved about being here. People were like, I didn't, like what you guys said, I didn't know you could do all that, you know. I didn't know you had all that in you. And I feel like the business in America makes you feel like you have to do one genre. You're going to be in this box. And I hate it. I hate it. I hate it with a passion because I feel like I'm not that girl, you know. So the new Snippets project is like acapella. Some is jazz. Some is like funk. Some is rock. And it's only a minute and 30 seconds long. And they're all telling a story. So, yeah, I'm going to give that away for free. Just to, here you go. Yeah. That's really good. Well, well, thank you for your time, Tema. No, thank you guys. Thank you guys. I know. Okay, so that was our conversation with Tamar, and now we talk to band leader of Lake Minnetonka, Mr. Adam Rudiger. Adam tells us great stories. If you don't know, Lake Minnetonka, it's from the Purple Rain movie. Uh, you might have heard of this movie. It's a small independent. Anyway, <laughs> he, he's got like on his Melbourne Apatos album, he has Sunny T on there. He has Eric Leeds on there. He has Dr. Fink on there. You need to listen to this album. You need to listen to this interview. And he tells the stories about all his fun when he went to Minneapolis and recorded with all these guys. So get ready for that. And now we are joined by Mr. Adam Rudiger from the band Lake Minnetonka via Melbourne, via Minneapolis, via this Melbourneapolis. internet <laughs> conversation. <laughs> Welcome. Hello, Adam. Good evening, gentlemen. Thanks for coming on. My pleasure. Can you tell us about the band and can you tell us how you started and how you came up with the name and the members of the band and everything around Lake Minnetonka? Sure. Yeah, well, I guess it started with me wanting to play... Minneapolis music, but not wanting to do a Prince cover band. I actually already had a Prince covers band years and years and years ago called 23 Positions, which was quite fun. But um, we only did like obscure 90s Good name, stuff. good name. So we, didn't, we were not that popular. But uh, yeah, I want to do a Prince-related <laughs> project without it being a tribute show or, or anything like that. And I loved Madhouse, and I kind of just wanted to write in that style. And I met the drummer, Nick Karasavidis, our original drummer, uh, working with a singer by the name of Floralee Escano. And he was a huge fan and he said to me, if you ever start a Prince-related project again, I'd like to be the drummer. And so very shortly after he said that, I thought, well, yeah, let's do it. So I started the band. And um, before we kind of even named the band, this is in 2014, I got the opportunity to work with Dr. Fink when he came out and did a gig here in Uh. Melbourne called House Call. And I knew the organizers and they asked me to be the musical director. And I thought, wow, I get to pick the band and make them learn the Prince tunes that Fink is going to play so that when he gets mm. off the plane, he can just go Ready straight to go. into rehearsal. We run through the show and then we go perform the show like very quick turnaround. So I did that 
And during the week that he and his wife Andrew were here, we hung out a fair bit and we did touristy stuff like we went on a Yarra River cruise and things that people that live in <laughs> Melbourne never <laughs> do, but touristy stuff. Yeah. Oh, one memorable moment was we were having yum cha in Chinatown and the phone rang and he took this call and then he got off. He was like, I can't talk now. And he got off the phone and he goes, yeah, that was some guy from Paisley Park saying Prince wanted to talk to me, but you know, it's too noisy here. I, I can't listen. I know what he's going to say. <laughs> Because at the time, Fink was playing in the Purple Experience, which is a, uh, a Prince tribute band, which is pretty weird because yeah. Fink is basically himself and then everybody yeah. else is impersonating mm. members of the revolution. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and he was like, you know, the, he doesn't like, want everybody to wear the costumes on stage in the Purple Experience, but we're not going to listen to him. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so anyway, we're hanging out and, um, and I said, hey, Matt, do you think that if I came to Minneapolis, like, we could do a recording at your studio? And he said, sure. And then, then I had this seed of an idea and I thought, I want to go to Minneapolis and give Matt a shopping list of musicians that I want to get and why not just dream big? And uh, so he ended up helping me get Eric Leeds and Sonny Thompson and Ugh. he played on, on our first record Sonny. too. And it was just amazing because it was like a super group of members of the revolution, members of the MPG, and I got to put them all together in a unique thing and make them play my original music. Mm. The hard part was when I came back to Melbourne with those recordings and I said to my band, well, okay, now we've got to learn these. (laughs) So um, (laughs) they had (laughs) some big shoes to fill, but (laughs) but, hey, they really stepped up and, you know, it's very different working with a band consistently and developing that camaraderie and going overseas and basically yeah. having one day in the studio with some people like you might have idolized them and watched them on video for hundreds of hours of your life, but really you've only just met them in the flesh. Mm. And, uh, you know, we had a really good time, but there just isn't quite the opportunity to develop the chemistry. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 It'd be weird because you'd feel like you know them. But yeah. from their point of view, they have no clue who you are. Absolutely. But you feel like you've watched them for a million years. Absolutely. Yeah. And there's just these, um, I, you know, I shot some videos for Instagram, whatever, of me just like losing my shit quietly in the corner while Eric's warming up. <laughs> you know, I'm like, Eric came to Matt Fink's house to record for me, for my music. What? What is my life even? Yeah. So that was... It was brilliant. And, um, and then I actually, once Eric said yes to the recording session, I noticed that he advertises for lessons on his website. So I asked him if I could book him for a lesson. He, I don't ah. play saxophone, but I just wanted to talk jazz stuff with him. And we ended up hanging out at his apartment for about five hours. And we just wow. talked about all sorts of stuff from jazz to Prince. And he's got a million stories and he's really funny. And he said all this funny stuff. And eventually some of the things that he said, because I was recording our, um, our lesson with permission, that made it to the track on Melbourne Apple's 4AM Bunker Funk. So that's, I like to say uh, that that's yeah. a world first. It has St. Paul on the bass and Eric Leeds on the vocals. <laughs> <laughs> Even though he's not singing, he's talking, but you know, I can... Yeah, I'll spin it that mm. way. <laughs> it's a technicality. Yeah. <laughs> well, I got a question about having these guys play on your tracks. Yeah. Was this just a thing that was arranged through Matt as like a friendly thing, or was this like I'm paying you to do this job on this song? Was oh no, I paid them. Matt helped me yeah. get in touch with just S- get in touch with them. Yeah. Matt helped me get in touch with Sonny. I actually had already been in touch with Eric Leeds because I have my uh, my radio show on PBS. When Saint Paul came out with Sheila E eight years ago or whatever it was, I interviewed him and yeah. Ricky Peterson and I 
even when I went and gate crashed sound check actually because <laughs> I wanted to be <laughs> and I was told yeah. I was told when Sheila gets there it was at the corner hotel when Sheila gets they were cool for me to hang around but I, when Sheila got there I had to leave and I couldn't resist mm. just saying hello to her on as I was leaving and she looked a bit like who is this person yeah and I just <laughs> sort of shook I just shook her hand and was like when we met her in Sydney she just had this air of I'm up here and you're a bit further down. <laughs> a little bit. She was really cool. She was nice. But there was you could just tell, like, she knows that she's Sheila E and we we knew that she was Sheila E and that dynamic was just funny to me because mm. she was there in this, like, big, long, cool leather coat and everything. And uh, that was, yeah, that was I at the show. But before, during the sound check, she was out on the street. She had this massive bubble goose jacket and these oversized sunglasses and it's, like, 9 <laughs> o'clock at night. And, but you could tell, like, she had that, like, star quality about her. Yeah, the rock like, star. Wow. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So while I'm interviewing mm. Ricky Peterson for this, uh, this is a phoner that we did for the Sheila E show, I said, Ricky, I've always wanted to interview Eric Leeds. You don't have his number, do you? And he goes, yeah, sure, I've got around here somewhere. Sure. He starts <laughs> rummaging through this drawer and he's like, oh, yeah, here it is. And he just gives me Eric Leeds' number. And I'm like, well, damn, now I've, now I've got to call him. So I looked up the time zone <laughs> difference and I call I just cold called him at six PM Minneapolis time and he wow. answers and I and I said, Eric, you don't know me, my name's Adam. I have a radio show in Melbourne, Australia, and I would love to interview you at some point about the Minneapolis sound. And he said okay. How'd you get this number? <laughs> no, I told him, I told him where I got it. And he goes, Okay, sure, I guess I could do that. And <laughs> And, we, yep, and that's so him. That's him. I, I interviewed him a couple of times over the years. So we, we had had a connection. So I think that helped a lot. So when I booked him for a lesson mm. and a recording session, he was extremely generous with his time. You know, like how long does a music lesson go for? And like an hour, you know, but we just hung out for about yeah. five hours. He went into the, his closet and he pulled out some cassette tapes and he played me this early mix of Sexual Suicide. He's going, you know the Ooh. tune Sexual Suicide? I'm like, uh, yes. And, <laughs> yes. And he goes, yeah, well, the horns were a little bit different earlier on and, and he's playing this stuff to me. So I, I had an amazing time hanging out with, with Eric. That's back in 2015. So after Matt Fink's that, house It call, just makes you think how many cassettes these guys have just got sitting in their house. Uh, they do. Because, it's insane. And Dr. Fink is the same in his studio. He showed me original Claire Fisher manuscript for Crystal Ball, Ooh. like the oboe part. <gasps> wow. Like he's got complete orchestrations. Oh. Yeah, the stuff they have is insane. Just memorabilia. You could imagine like the Bowie exhibition at Acme. You could imagine the Prince version. It would be colossal. Mm. All the, mu- wow. the music stuff. Wow. Yeah. So uh, yeah. So that's sort of how how that Minneapolis recording stuff came about. And then in the meantime, I just had my local guys, and eventually Nick Karasavidis, the original drummer, his wife got pregnant a second time, and he had to sort of pull back from some musical commitments. And I just started working at Manny's, a music store in North Fitzroy. And um, one of my coworkers said, "Oh, you you need a new drummer. Have you talked to um, Emily? She teaches drums up." upstairs because there's a musical upstairs and when I met Emily I said well basically I'm looking for Sheila E and her eyes lit up and I knew that she knew exactly what I meant and she said yep she said well I've got the wardrobe she's the one 
as soon as she said, I've got the yep. wardrobe I need. There you go. You're and in. I did, You're in. I did some research on her and I looked her up on YouTube, another band she played in, she was interviewed and she said, some people think that you need to have a fallback position and, you know, you shouldn't rely on music as your number one plan and I just don't agree with that at all. And I was like, yes, she's, she's totally committed. Great. So, um, <laughs> yeah. And our bass player, we were Facebook friends. She had a band called Feed Your Monkey and one day she posted... Oh, great name. One day she posted, guys, come along. It's our last gig. The band's breaking up. I'm really sad. We've had a really good time, but, you know, this show will be a blast. And I was thinking, good, she's going to need a new project. <laughs> so I sent her... It was a bit good, she'll be free. I sent her a message on Facebook. I said, hey, do you want to come and have a jam? And we came and had a jam. We played through some, you know, let's work and a couple of things. And I thought, okay, this is going to work out well. And I always wanted to, um, you know, try and have a good gender balance in the band and really consider, you know, not just go with people I already knew, but kind of branch out and try and work with new people. So we've got a great mm. mix of people. And Jack, our guitarist, when I started working at Collarts, I teach at Collarts, he was one of my students when I first started there and then he graduated and I thought, hey, you're really good and you're young <laughs> and you're not going to have any kids or family or commitments for a while your 20s Not are going to go on and on for quite some time so I got him in the band and he's just been great you know I don't know if you guys you, well you yeah. did saw him play in yeah. Sydney playing yeah. Purple Rain with Tamar oh my god yeah it's quite shocking <laughs> to me <laughs> how accomplished he is at you know his tender age yeah. I mean, he's been in the band for a few years now, but uh, he's, you know, he's still young. He's still in his 20s. Christ. I don't know if I can play like that now. And then you got the saxophone guy. What's his name? Yeah, AJ. So AJ was recommended by Nick, our original drummer, and uh, AJ was there for our very first jam. And I said to AJ, so, so AJ, do you know Eric Leeds? You know, are you into Eric Leeds? <laughs> And AJ was like, no, nah, but you know, oh, never I'll, heard of him. I'll, I'll check, I'll check it out. And he's great because he's just really, I call it like Gonzo saxophone. Like he's really adventurous. <laughs> he just really digs deep and plays this incredible stuff. And he, he, it's not a super intellectual approach, but he just knows how to twist the saxophone and make it do all sorts of mm. great vocal squawking but he's got the jazz language as well it's very important to me that even though we play a lot of funk stuff that bebop language and that jazz language is always in there because we're essentially a jazz band in disguise as far as i'm concerned and that's kind of nice. what eric yeah. brought to madhouse you know prince yeah. mm. wanted to make a jazz record but he didn't know how to make a jazz record because he doesn't he's not educated in that way in in those jazz conventions yeah. which in some respects makes madhouse amazing because he goes and does all this stuff that yeah. breaks jazz rules. So it, it's yeah. more jazz. The ja actual jazz people would never even think yeah. of doing. So in some ways it's more jazz. Because he's coming at it from a totally different perspective, yeah. Yeah, but Eric sort of keeps it grounded in, in the jazz language. So it's this wonderful hybrid. So that's what I'm going for too. You know, I try not to write conventional sort of two five ones and I don't want it to sound like mm. regular jazz. I want the, Like that new tune we just brought out, Freezer Burn, Emily's like, mm. are you sure you want me to play the drums this obnoxiously? And I'm like, yes, <laughs> whole point. I'm like, hit that harder. It's, it should like make people's ears bleed. Because <laughs> if you listen to junk music, that's how they're playing. Uh, they're so, yeah. Yeah. so balls to the wall. And for years, junk music was like my holy grail of bootlegs. If I could pick one thing in the vault that I would get to hear, it would be that. And when that finally nice. leaked... 
I was in heaven. It mm. did not disappoint. It was like everything that I hoped it would be. Hearing Lisa Coleman, like the way that she approaches that funky stuff is so the opposite of what like Herbie Hancock would do. You know, all the funk kind of playing that we're used to hearing. Mm. She has this completely opposite approach yeah. and it's amazing. I love it. She's, yeah. The way she plays is no one sounds like it. It's exactly, like Eric Leeds. Yeah. Like as soon as you hear Eric Leeds, you're like, that's Eric Leeds. And when you hear Lisa play like piano stuff, you just know it's her. Yeah. Yeah. She just plays different, differently to anybody. It's more impressionistic, you know. She's got a different energy. Yeah, mm. really, really great. You mentioned Tamar just a minute ago. Yes. Tell us about how that whole tour happened. Well, we're good buddies with Neil Richards, who is... Square One Entertainment. Yeah, Square One Entertainment, <laughs> F Deluxe's manager and St. Paul's manager, and we've known him for a long time. Yep. And one day he posted a picture of Tamar online and I just sent him a message immediately going, he didn't say who it was, but I know who it is. So I went, Tamar Davis, are you kidding me? And he goes, yeah, I'm her tour manager now. <laughs> um, so when I was in Minneapolis, I actually sat down with her and we did an interview for my radio show to help her promote these Melbourne shows. But I, little did I know that I would end up actually being the musical director. Um, <laughs> so mm-hmm. a couple of weeks after I got back, Neil contacted us and said that basically didn't have the budget to bring her whole band out. And so she wanted to use local crew and he was thinking of us. And of course I thought about it for a while. And after yes, 1.2 milliseconds, yeah. yes, I said, <laughs> yeah, I guess, I guess we could do that. So, um, yeah, so I transcribed a bunch of tunes that they sent through and I, I charted them out and the band rehearsed them and everybody put in a lot of work because we wanted to do a really good job. And yeah, and then we played three shows at Bird's Basement and we only like obviously met Tamar. I met her twice. We did our interview and then I went to her. She did a live in store at Electric Fetus. So I met her twice in, in the one week in Minneapolis. But the rest of the band didn't meet her until the day of the performance. And we had like a four hour sound check slash rehearsal. And then we had a couple of hours off and then Lake Minnetonka did the opening set. So we did the opening set every night and then Tamar did her set and yeah. accompanied her, which was great fun. And um, when I interviewed her in Minneapolis, she talked about, you know, she'd like to do some jazz tunes when she comes to Melbourne. So we actually did a couple of tunes together, Blue Skies and Someone to Watch Over Me, just her and me. So that was just a dream come mm, true to actually yeah. get to play piano for Tamar. And then... She said, maybe we should add in another jazz tune. And I said, can we please do Never Loved a Man the Way That I Love You? Because yeah. that's the first time I ever saw her was on TV on the NAACP Awards doing yes. it as part of that uh, same yeah. medley. And I just thought that would be a bucket list thing, playing that song with Tamar. Mm. And, uh, and she was into it. So you did those three shows in Melbourne and one in Sydney? One in Sydney. Right? We flew up to Sydney on the afternoon, went straight to the venue, sound checked, did our set, did Tamar's set back at the airport yeah. at 7 a.m. And uh, you went straight back, yeah. There right. was a, whirl, a whirlwind tour, <laughs> but uh, no, it was great. And the camaraderie in the band, like, you know, there's nothing like touring just to, well, I guess it can go horribly wrong, but it didn't in our case. It really <laughs> it brought us together. We had a great time. And, you know, it was, there are always grueling aspects to it. And, and we worked really hard, you know, learning the material and then, you know, there were changes to the arrangements and things that we had to sort of cope with. But yeah, overall, it was a really, really positive experience. And we're just so happy to reach some, you know, more more audience. And it was such an honor to be able to back her. She's an incredible, incredible performer oh, yeah. and talent. And her her solo work is really great. And she has this new song that's that hasn't come out yet called I Feel Good, which is a real funky banger. Like she's, I think she's 
totally kind of committing to a more funk Minneapolis kind of sound for her new stuff, Ooh. which was great fun to play, and that just went off every night. So uh, it's a great honour to be one of the first bands to get to play that with her. And we got, there's great footage because Bird's Basement has a full camera system installed and they filmed every night, uh-huh. every, every song. And we've got multi-track audio as well. So it's Ooh. all completely documented. It's great. Great. In the Lake Benetonka vault. That's yeah. awesome. Oh, that, yep. that vault is, is, is growing, I'll tell you. But um, now that we've got our official YouTube channel, I'll be... Um, Leaking things myself, I think. Oh, that's good. I'll just wear a that's mask good. and call myself that's what you do. Bora Bora or something. Bora Bora, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Zora Zora, maybe. Yeah, but there was points so. during your set and Tamar's set where just Captain and I were just looking at each other, just like there was just moments we just looked at each other at the same time. We're just like, oh my god, this is this is unreal. So yeah, well, because that was, this like, guy bits, just keeps throwing in like. Eight second random yeah, snippets yeah. of Prince, Prince tracks, <laughs> and we'd we, it'd be, we'd be like three seconds in, and we're looking at each other, going, "What is it? What is it? What is it? <laughs> it's an honest man! Oh my god!" And then it's over, and then you're on to something else, and it's like, "Oh, that was fun." Oh yeah, I did do a, <laughs> uh, did do a bit of Honest Man. I really like Honest Man because there's no sheet music or anything for it anywhere. I transcribed it myself. So right. sometimes mm. when you really put in the work, I love doing that. Yeah. I love putting in little Easter eggs for the fans and doing. Yeah, you know, that's what um, it was like. Yeah. 3121 and yeah speed and yeah I heard like that, that. Yeah. <laughs> as soon as you did that I'm like like the first two times it's like okay this is 3121 or Days of Wild what's it gonna be yeah yeah. we had it was 3121 we've done Days of Wild once we did it at the Purple Emerald about five years ago so talking about Lake Minnetonka the, the album most people would know is probably Melbourne Apolis yeah but then you've got this new Honey Garden EP Honey. is out yeah. It is. The Honey Garden is funny because the song itself, I said, we need to write a song that's like about a place like Honeymoon Express or Strawberry Lake or Oliver's House. Uh, you know, mm, it's, it's a place. It's like one yeah. You go there uptown, you go there to get funky or some sexy stuff happens. Like, I don't know, Honey Garden. And then I went, what's <laughs> wrong with that? Cool. Let's just, let's just yep. go with that. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it sprung from there. So all those songs on Honey Garden except Freezer Burn were co-written by myself and Francoise Dargent. And she just came over to my house over a period of months and we just workshopped them and we talked about different influences. And she knows a lot about Prince music, but she's also got a really deep knowledge of 70s funk and boogie and disco that, that runs Ooh, far deeper nice. than, than my mm. knowledge in that area. So I love what she brings to it because she brings these other flavours. The melodies she sings, I wouldn't write, but I think they work great. Mm. So we we had a really fun time writing that stuff. That's the most interesting thing with doing any collaboration is you just end up doing something that you never even would think of. And then it happens and you're like, wow, I never would have thought of doing that. And, And it works. It's... It's great. Yeah, and uh, the funny thing is every time uh, she'd come over, I'd be like, I've got this idea and it's kind of like it's kind of like a Jill Jones track and she, she'd go, you always say that. That's all you ever talk about. You just want to make the Jill Jones record, don't you? And I'm like, yes, what's wrong with you? <laughs> I just, and I just, I worship that recording. But yeah. I got to say that you, you guys on your Jill Jones review revealed a whole bunch of arcane facts about that I had no clue about. So I did not know oh, about nice. Steve Ooh. Gadd. So um, thank you for that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There was a whole bunch of like people yeah. on, on that just on one track or the other. And it's like, really? That person's on this track? It was just like crazy. 
I know. So, if anybody wants to go and hear Lake Minnetonka, they have a website. Correct me if I'm wrong. It's lakeminnetonka.bandcamp.com. That's it. That's where that should all our be music correct. Is. And we have our you new YouTube channel, the Honey Garden. Oh, his YouTube channel. And you're on uh, like Spotify and all that stuff, aren't you? Yeah, we sure yes. are. Melbourne Apples and Honey Garden are both up on. You probably get a massive like three cents or something from that, but yeah. <laughs> oh, absolutely. That that'll cover <laughs> the airfare to get the band to to Minnesota next year for sure. Oh yeah, great. Yeah, if everyone just streams it nonstop until then, maybe. Maybe we'll get maybe we'll get <laughs> maybe one not. of us to Sydney for the connecting. Flight. <laughs> you get to Sydney. <laughs> <laughs> And also On tell Tiger. us what's the future for the band. What's next? I've seen it and it will be. And uh, it will and, be. And it works. <laughs> well, the next immediate thing is we're going to do... The Batman medley that we did went so well that I just decided that we have to make an official video of it. So we're going to do a studio shoot. It's going to look really good. There's a whole bunch of guest vocalists. We've got Henry Mineta, Francoise Dargent, Petra Elliott, oh, nice. Carla Troiano, basically everybody that performed on the night. Yeah. And we're doing most of the songs from the Batman record in abridged forms. And we'll all dress up. It's going to be amazing. So then we're going to do a big Halloween gig, which is going to be, Ooh. the theme is going to be Gotham City Gangster Glam. Oh, nice. Because I'm, I just mm. can't get the 30th anniversary of Batman out of my head. I love that record. Uh, it's one <laughs> of my favorites. I just think Batman is so unfairly maligned. There's been some really good articles about it recently. but MC Bat- gave it four out of ten. <laughs> yeah, we know. Tell us about it. Anyway, I could go on about Batman all day. I won't, but um, yeah, so we, we thought we'd, we'd make it a bit more expansive. So Gotham City Gangster Glam has the, the Batman part, it has the Prince part, but it could be whatever you want it to be, really. So we're going to have a big Halloween party, and then, uh, yeah, I don't know what next. I'm just going to f- focus on making a really good Batman video. Nice. That sounds great. And then, uh, of course, we started recording the second album in Minneapolis. So I had a recording session with Dr. Fink. Again, St. Paul Peterson and L.A. Buckner, who's an amazing drummer. Oh, we all, drummer, yeah. We all got in the room and uh, we recorded at River Rock Studios, which Matt recommended. And uh, it was a really great studio and we laid down some heavily funky shit so um, now I'm going to just overdub some of the the local band members so it's a true hybrid of the two cities Mm -hmm. and that will comprise about half of the next record and then uh, we'll have a bunch of new guest vocalists and uh, Fran and Henry will be on it as well. So, um, yeah, we're just continuing it's, to develop be, uh, our sound. Melbourneapolis 2. Actually, <laughs> we know the name of it and it was chosen Ooh, by... Oh, don't the, say it, don't I'm say not, it. No, 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 we're not going to say it. We're keeping it under wraps, but I'll just tell you that the girl at the coffee cart at Paisley Park came up with it and she's just said oh, this thing to oh. me and I just went... Oh my God, that is the name of our next record. I said, I said, what's your name? And she said, April. And I said, April, you're going to know when you hear of this record that you picked that title. Wow. That was meant to be. April's the reporter from Ninja Turtles. Everybody yeah, knows that. A- April O'Neil. <laughs> yeah. I wonder if she knows yeah. Vanessa Bartholomew. <laughs> so what we need to do now is, um, because this interview will be the length that it is, and there's so many more things to talk about, I think you need to come on... Captain says, and we'll talk uh, for a lot longer about <laughs> all the print stuff and all anytime. the stuff that you want to talk about. Yeah, I would love to anytime. We'll do that. We'll do that. So that's about it. Anything else you got to say? Go and buy the album. Go and get it. Yeah. 
The EP Thank you for coming on Honey Garden Melbourneapolis is our um, our full length album, and uh, the as yet to be announced <laughs> title second album will be sometime I'd say mid next year. We'll probably go and launch it in Minneapolis, but we'll launch it in Australia first, I reckon. Oh, and then we'll go Yay. have a launch party. That's and great. and Matt Fink will be there. Maybe. <laughs> well, I don't see why we couldn't book Matt and Paul and the people that play on it and get them to play on their tracks. Yeah. Why not? That would be That's amazing it. and appropriate. It's unreal. Yeah. Very thank good. you so much. And um, thank you for your time, gentlemen. It's been really wonderful to get to tell these stories. And um, you guys do such a great job all the time for 10 years now on Peach and Black. So uh, I really, really... Um, Yay. I loved the opportunity to get, to get to chat with you guys. Thanks so much. Thank you. So that was Adam from Lake Minnetonka waxing lyrical about his experiences over in Minneapolis with all of those cats from the area. And obviously, we want to thank Tamar for coming on the show again. And we want to thank thank all of our listeners, last but not least, by any stretch of the imagination. We appreciate your support and your continued support and uh, look forward to more of it and putting out more uh, good stuff for you guys in the future. Thanks again so much for listening to the show. Take care. Peace. You've been listening to another classic Peach and Black podcast. Catch all our episodes at podbean.com, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Mixcloud, and all good podcast directories. Search for Peach and Black Podcast. You can continue your Peach and Black experience online. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. The Peach and Black Podcast is written and produced by Rob S, MC, Player, Toe Jam, and Captain. Original theme music by yours truly, Toe Jam. Audio production and additional audio editing by Captain at Funky Temple Studios. Episode artwork by Reverend. Share our podcast with your friends and Prince fans. If you love our show, please write a review on Apple Podcasts. You can contact the Peach and Black Podcast by email at peachandblackpodcastofficial at gmail.com. <laughs>